0: Church. It's a beautiful beautiful day. I'm thankful to be here for being with you all this morning. We're gonna sing a song, it has an echo. Traditionally, this is uh, guys sing the first part, ladies echo, but we yeah. do you. Sing us out from the
1: in cap city lord me magnified the most high what a great way to start off this morning and and that's that's what we're here for if you think about why did i come this morning it is to magnify his name it is to praise the savior the 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 holy one and that's I know why we that's why we meet this morning to do that together as a community and uh so if you're new here at Camp City, the way we start out is after that first song, we take a moment for reflection and confession. We try to get that attitude, that correct attitude in our hearts and our minds that we could praise and magnify his name. So let's take a little bit and just kind of leave all that dirt that you drug in from all week, just kind of let it drop off and confess to your Lord Lord, I need to drop this. I need to leave this at the door so I can praise and worship you, so I can hear your word just authentically through my ears and my heart. So let's take a moment, let go of all the dirt that you brought in, and then we'll uh, say a confession together, and then we'll continue in our worship. Father, just thank you for this opportunity to come together as a group, as a body, and just to raise our hands up to you, to give you thanks, to ask for forgiveness from from this past week, and to cleanse our hearts and our minds, Father. Make us pure that we may read your word without any influence from the outside world, but just to, to see what you have to share with us this morning, Father. And Father, as we lift our hands in praise, may it be authentically from our hearts, nothing selfish, Father, but just to glorify you. So as we cleanse ourselves this morning, we come together as one body to confess in front of you. Let us confess together. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. did not mother conceive me? Behold, you delight in the truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me to the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Amen.
2: Our scripture this morning is Psalm 22 verses 23 through 31. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him, and stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the afflicted of the, the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It should be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn. That he has done it.
3: All nature sings and around me rings the music This is my
0: is your world. We are your people. We are your children. Father, we commit uh, this time to you. We commit our hearts and our minds to you, Father. We cast away the temptations we have in our minds to not pay attention, God, to focus on other things that might be outside this room. God, we give those to you. We surrender to you fully as a body before you today. In Christ's name we pray.
3: If
4: you would stay standing for a minute, please. Good morning, Capital City Church. I'm reminded as I'm singing that and listening to you sing it of how very intentional we've been to find and sing songs that teach us about who God is because um, you're going to be learning something. And singing is a great way to learn. It's a great way to learn theology, actually. Uh, you should pay attention to what you're singing. Um, and boy, this is my father's world. Oh, let me never forget that though the wrong seems oft so strong, he is the ruler yet. It's pretty strong. It's Pretty good theology. All right, so we're going to read... Two passages. You got off light the last two weeks. Just a couple of verses each week. We're making up for it today. We're going to go quickly. Two narratives. We're going to unpack these in just a little while, so we're not really explaining the context right now. Stay tuned for that. Acts chapter 16. We're going to read verses 27 through 31 to kick off. This is Paul and Silas in the jail in Philippi. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, Uh, We're kind of jumping into the last, I guess it's probably the last one-third of Jesus' ministry. That's about where this is in that narrative. We're going to actually read in verse 36 and we're going to finish out chapter 9 and then pick up, go right into verse 10. When he saw the crowds, we're talking about Jesus obviously. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to, to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. 10-1, and he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. Jumping down to verse 5. These 12 Jesus sent out. You may be seated. Thank you for standing with me. It's one of the things we do here as we're reading scripture We're in a series called Calling. This is week three of a four-week series where we're unpacking what it means to be called, to be a follower of Jesus Christ, to be a disciple. Uh, We're starting with this primary idea, which I hope you know, and yet we don't want to take it for granted, and I want you to really think about this and kind of lean into it mentally and lean into it spiritually. Jesus has a mission. Jesus has a mission, and he is calling you to join him in it. I heard somebody say years ago, I said this the first week, I love this phrase, and it's a great way for maybe you to think about it, and it may challenge you. You may initially say, hey, I don't know if I agree with that, but I want you to think about it this week. We say often that the church has a mission, but actually the church doesn't have a mission. The mission has a church. Jesus is on mission, and the church is called to join Him in it, right? Jesus, is, Jesus, His goal in this world is to see His glory brought about and to see many people brought to Him. Jesus has a mission. He's calling you and me and everyone in His church, all of us who are His disciples, to join Him in the mission, to follow Him. And in fact, that's what it means to be a disciple. A disciple is not just a believer. A, a disciple is a believer, But a disciple is not just a believer. It goes beyond belief. It's a believer who takes action. Listen, it's a listener who obeys. This is exactly the context that in the first century his disciples would have heard. They would have understood this. This was a cultural phenomenon for them, right? It wasn't just Jesus that was teaching. There were a lot of teachers and every teacher had disciples. And so a disciple was more than a believer. A disciple is a learner. A disciple is a follower. A disciple is an obeyer i don't know if you figured this out or not yet uh, but christianity gets co-opted for a lot of things that don't always line up with christianity if you didn't know that pay special attention this fall as the election rolls around christianity gets co-opted for a lot of things that don't line up with christianity and yet if we're going to say that we should define what does it mean to be a disciple What does it mean to really follow Jesus? Well, we've worked on this for over a year now. Uh, We've worked hard to try to define for us as Capital City Church, what's the language that we're going to use when we talk about being disciples? And, uh, you know, we're rolling this out, as it were, over these few weeks. Uh, Many of you, we have several people who serve on our lead team. And so throughout 2023, they heard this language as we met. We talked about it. We unpacked it. Uh, In fact, what we're sharing today was originally shared in a lead team meeting. Uh, What does it mean to be disciples? And you'll see from left to right these banners that are behind me that kind of follow along with this. The first thing that we're saying, the language that we're going to use as a church, is that a disciple is a devoted learner. A disciple is a devoted learner. A disciple is someone who has a scriptural worldview and really an increasing scriptural worldview. We want to be increasing in the way that we have wisdom, the way that we have knowledge and understanding. We're devoted learners. We're also faithful neighbors. As disciples, we're faithful neighbors. Hey, guys, this mic's a little hot. Can we check on that? We're, dif- we're faithful neighbors, right? As disciples, we're faithful neighbors. So we're biblical justice. That's one way to fix it, right? <laughs> We're going to live with biblical justice towards those who are around us. We want, to live, we want to live with love and yet live with truth towards those who are around us. And some of you may be thinking to yourself, well, I don't like those two things kind of can pull at each other. Right, yes, they absolutely can pull at each other. We say this often around here. I think it's good for us to remember. As adults, we're often called to balance tensions. In fact, a lot of times you can find spiritual unhealth. Um, uh, mental unhealth, relational unhealth when we pursue one extreme over another extreme. So we're devoted learners, we're faithful neighbors, we're also sincere worshipers. We're going to be sincere worshipers. We're going to live with a very deep reverence of who God is with deep respect. Please hear this. I'm not saying it's a litmus test, but it will tell you a lot. When someone names the name of Christ, they should be respectful of him. He doesn't work for us. We don't baptize him into our agendas. And when we see Christ for who he really is, in all of his glory, we really have no choice but to fall on our knees as sincere worshipers in deep reverence. And as we grow as disciples, our reverence for God actually will grow even more. Last week, we unpacked this idea of being an eager multiplier. We're going to be eager multipliers, which means we want to see the work that God's done in each of us, you individually, me individually, us as a church, right? I want to see the work that God's done in me multiplied into the lives of other people. And I want to do that eagerly. I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. I've experienced the the incredible life that we find in following Jesus Christ. And I want to share that with others. And it's actually the most natural thing in the world for me to want to share with other people what I've experienced from God. So that's Eager Multipliers. This week and next week, we're going to kind of unpack that one a little bit more in two very unique areas, kind of from two very unique angles, two angles of the same idea. I will say this, we're going to talk this morning about evangelism. If you've been in church for a little while, or you're a church person, then you know what we're about to talk about, right? If not, stay tuned, you're going to catch a glimpse of it, right? So we're going to talk about evangelism, but I want you to hear this, please hear this. This is not about sales, religious sales. There's a, there's a wonderful line uh, in, the, in the 1980s, Eugene Peterson wrote a book uh, on what it means to be a, a great pastor. The work that God's called us to to, to as pastors and as shepherds. And I'll always remember this line in there. He says, uh, if we're not careful, we pursue a promising career in religious sales. How scary is that, right? This is not that. It's not about manipulating. It's not about, you know, putting a notch on our belt or however you want to keep score or, you know, being competitive. This is not about that at all. Please hear this. We're going to circle back to this at the end. This really is about, first and foremost, the earth being flooded with the knowledge of the glory of God. That's our heart's cry. We want to see the earth. I want to see Kansas and Nebraska and Missouri and Colorado. I want to see them flooded with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. I want to see every man, woman, and child have easy, local, immediate access in the flesh to see the knowledge of the glory of the Lord lived out in the lives of his disciples who don't always get it right, but are always pursuing passionately. Now, we have this uh, thing that we use called the three circles. Uh, We used this last year. We unpacked this last year, actually in the context of preaching through the Sermon on the Mount, we didn't come up with this. There's a guy named Jimmy Scroggins, who's a pastor in South Florida, who put this together and kind of put it out there. And it's just, I, I was talking uh, with a pastor friend of mine, which we'll talk more about in just a second, I've got a fun announcement to make. Uh, but I had lunch with a pastor friend of mine, and I told him this is actually one of the most easy to use and significant tools that I've seen to explain God's worldview. How, what, what is God's worldview? Like, how does God see Humanity. And it's such an easy access for us to talk about what it means to follow Jesus Christ. Very quickly, we start with God's design because that's how humanity originally was created. We were created with an original design. And yet through sin, we departed from God's design. We made that choice as humans. We departed from God's design and we now live in brokenness. We're trying everything that we can to escape brokenness, right? So we want to get back to God's design, we don't know. You don't always know that that's what you want, but it is what you want because you're trying to escape the brokenness that you and I in our world live, exists in. So as you escape brokenness, how do you, how do you get back to God's designs? It's very important. There's only one way. It's the gospel. And in fact, it's a very specific embracing of the gospel. The gospel is the idea that you are a sinner. The gospel always begins with the fact that there's something wrong. And specifically, there's something wrong with you. And there's something wrong with me. And we got to admit that. we got to say it out loud. Hey, I know that I don't have the answer. The answer lives outside of me. There's something wrong, and I can't fix it on my own. Jesus came and died on the cross and was buried and was raised again three days later to offer the opportunity that we, through faith, can be forgiven of our sin. We repent and believe and through the gospel, through that gospel message, we can begin, then begin to recover and pursue God's design. It's not about statistics. It's not about you and I bragging about how many people that we've seen respond to us. It's about the heavens and the earth being filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, even as the waters cover the sea, Habakkuk 2. Even as the waters cover the sea, we want to see that. And so Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Please listen to this language. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. How are you reconciled to God? Well, go back to the three circles. How do you return to God's design? It's always through the gospel. Hey, a little hint, listen. This afternoon, our community group's going to get together, and we're going to talk about what it means to be disciples and how to grow in discipleship. I'll give you a little hint. You know what we're going to talk about? The gospel. Because it's actually the secret to discipleship. It's the secret to spiritual growth. Always, always, always that's the case. I love this quote. I gave you this. I think I put it up here. I I think I forgot to put it in your notes, so hang with me. A quote from Jimmy Scroggins, the guy who did the three circles, right? He said, the only way we're going to reach millions of people for Christ is by having millions of people who are having millions of gospel conversations. What does that mean, Tim? Tim? not just up to me and pastor Aaron we should all be eager multipliers sharing our faith One of the things I get to do from time to time, which is an incredible privilege, through SEND Network, through the uh, church planting partnership that we have with SEND Network, I get invited to be, uh, as church planters come through, through, their husband and wife go through an assessment, and it's actually a pretty rigorous thing, and so I get invited to serve as an assessor sometimes, and two years ago, I got the chance to serve as an assessor with a guy named Chad Nixon. This was in 2022. Chad was going to Lake Lafayette, Missouri. Anybody ever heard of Lake Lafayette, Missouri? I'm not surprised. There are 327 people in Lake Lafayette, Missouri. And Chad was excited to go to Lake Lafayette, Missouri. And I remember saying, Chad, what's your vision? He said, I want to make it hard to go to hell from Lake Lafayette, Missouri. And I said, Brother, I feel a little rebuked. I'm begging you on behalf of Christ. Chad got it. Chad encouraged me to rethink it. I'm begging you. This is good news that we're sharing. Okay, so these two uh, passages, we're going to go through them very quickly back in Acts 16. This is so good. Paul's second missionary journey of three that we know of, and I would love to have a cup of coffee with some of you and argue over was there a fourth, because there might have been, I don't know. We know that at least Paul had three missionary journeys. This is the second one, the longest one. This is somewhere around 50 A.D. Uh, Paul finds himself in Philippi with Silas and with Timothy and with Luke. Uh, along the way, as after they had gotten there, they had converted a young girl who probably was demon possessed or at least demon oppressed for sure, because she was a fortune teller. She could tell the future, and they converted her to Christianity. And all that dried up because you can't serve two masters. You serve King Jesus, all the demons have to flee, right? So they convert this young fortune teller girl. Uh, then her owners didn't like that very much because their source of income was gone, and so they beat. Paul and Silas, and throw them in prison. Well, Paul and Silas promptly start praying and singing out loud. The other prisoners are listening to them. And suddenly, there's an earthquake, big earthquake, shook the whole jail. Everyone's chains fell off of them and the doors opened. That's where we pick up the story. Verse 27, when the jailer awoke, this is in the middle of the night, he saw that the prison doors were open. He drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he knew they were going to put him to death anyway. If you're the jailer and all the prisoners escape, this was, listen, this was a tough time to live. The world hasn't always been what it is now. He drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. Please catch this. He was in a really dark place. Life had dealt him a hand that he didn't ask for. How many of us would tell that story? That as we were coming to Christ, part of what God used in our lives, part of what God used in our stories was suffering, was circumstantial difficulty. In many ways, even darkness that we were trying to navigate on our own. This is often how God gets people's attention. Verse 28, but Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself for we are all here. Then suddenly, out of this incredibly dark situation, you have God now providing. Even in the midst of the darkness, God provides. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down, before paul and silas okay check this out as you and i think about sharing our faith with those around us whether it's somebody you work with or whether it's somebody you live next to or maybe someone in your family your extended family when you and i think about sharing our faith most of us get a little nervous we do let's be honest and doesn't mean that you don't love god It doesn't mean that you're not a Jesus follower. It just means that you're afraid of things being awkward. Imagine with me if this was your experience. The jailer called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. He brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Hey, could you put the ball through the net on that one? I think you probably could. By the way, time out. Really helpful if you know something like the three circles for when you get asked. Tools don't make you an evangelist, but they help you be one. They help you have more confidence because I know how to unpack it now. It gives me some framework that I can now talk about my own experience and really what does it mean to be a Christ follower. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? An ignorant but sincere Seeker. That's how most of us came to Christ, by the way. Just sincere. We don't get it right. We don't have the right theology. That's what God's going to start correcting on our journey as disciples. You know how he does it? Through making us devoted learners. And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. What must I do? You don't do anything. You just believe. Believe in Jesus. And you will be saved. So very quickly today we're going to talk about two prayers that we're going to pray. We're going to encourage you to pray these two prayers. Not just this week, but starting this week for sure. And we hope it just becomes a lifestyle as you're praying that you're going to be praying these two prayers. Here's the first one coming out of Acts 16, out of this story. We're going to pray that God would give us ready hearers. God, would you just put people in my path who are ready hearers? For some of us, you have a burden for someone that you work with or someone that you're friends with. Maybe, God, maybe you could pray that God would make them a ready hearer. God, make them ready to hear the gospel. Let's start with that. Give us ready hearers. Two observations from this story just very quickly. Number one, pain often brings people to a place of readiness. Pain often will bring people to a place of readiness. You want to be careful with this? Because when people are experiencing pain, first and foremost, please hear this, you need to know how to lament with people who are hurting. Just take a minute. Just catch your breath, right? Like, we've seen this over and over, and it seems to be increasing in how connected our culture is. And when something happens, we kind of all experience it. Like, do you remember when 9-11 happened? September 11th, 2001, and we all just kind of dropped everything. Like when we, some people have that in their lives personally when something like that happens. Can can we just take a minute and not try to capitalize on anything? Let's just catch our breath and mourn. Let's just catch our breath and care for our brother or sister, right? But along the way, it's a great time for us, check this out, go back to the three circles. Listen, why would God allow this to happen? You know how many times I get asked that as a pastor? Guess what? I'm not the only one who's going to be asked that. Some of you have been asked that, haven't you? That's why this tool is so powerful. It gives us a chance to talk about brokenness. Well, that actually is not God's original design. We chose to depart from that. And we're living in brokenness. And we're doing everything that we can to escape brokenness as humanity. And you know what? Sometimes our ridiculous efforts to escape brokenness actually make things worse. We see more pain and we experience more pain. And there's really only one path back to the hope and the joy and the fulfillment that we were meant to have it's the gospel. You feel that? Pain and difficulty can often bring people to a place of readiness. Also, number two, kind of the opposite end of that, deliverance often brings people to a place of readiness. If they had pain and they were delivered from it. If they're experiencing difficulty and someone helped them or things worked out for them. Here's the thing. Sometimes, often, God will use that to get a hold of someone's heart. So as you're praying for ready hearers, please hear this. As you're praying for ready hearers, could you also have open eyes? Could you maybe, I don't know, be a faithful neighbor? Pay attention to what's going on around you. Read the room. If someone shares something meaningful with you, don't rush by it. Stop for a second and be present. And please hear this. Don't preach at them. Isn't it ironic that a preacher stood up front and told you not to preach at people? This is about the only context where it kind of works. We start by loving. I hear you laughing, Tom. (laughs) It's true. You have to be careful preaching at people. We want to join the work that God's already doing in someone's heart deliverance often brings people to a place of readiness so that's the first prayer god give us ready hearers the second prayer we find in matthew 9 this narrative of jesus so we're rewinding now we're rewinding oh say uh, 20 years something like that this is back in around maybe the winter of 29 a.d Uh, we don't actually know when these were i know kind of where in the narrative narrative of jesus they fell. i don't know exactly what time of year that it happened jesus was about two years into a three plus year ministry and he was in the midst of what we call and uh if you're in the life of christ class on wednesday nights the the harmony class harmony of the gospels class i still haven't hit the name of it what's the name of it what do we call it jerry Kingdom in the Gospels, that's right, that that Doug Bender is teaching. Uh, You'll talk about Jesus' great Galilean ministry. This was in the midst of that. This is where we find this. And Jesus, verse 36 of Matthew 9, says, When he saw the crowds, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had what? Hey, look at me. When you see the crowds around you, do you have anger? Do you have frustration because they're not treating God the way you think you should be treated? We do, don't we? You're not... You know what blows my mind about me is how often I expect non-believers to act like believers, and then I get mad when they don't. That's actually pretty stupid, which is not a word I use lightly, but that's the right word. That's pretty silly of me, and I know none of you do that. So if you could just pray for me. Come on, right? When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were, what's the word? Oh, you didn't know there was going to be a quiz, right? What's the word? They were what? Hey, it means they were mangled. They were harassed and they were what else? It means they were scattered. Did you know that sometimes... When people are experiencing intense pain and pressure and unrest and restlessness and hopelessness, they act out. Sometimes, I'm going to channel my southern mama. She would say, sometimes people act ugly. She would look at me when I was growing up and say, don't be ugly. She wasn't talking about the way I look. In the South, that's talking about the way you act. Don't act ugly. Sometimes people act that way. And sometimes it's a symptom of what's going on inside of them. Sometimes it's because they're mangled and scattered. Look, look, this is so big. What does it say? Like sheep without a shepherd. When he saw them, he had compassion for them. Because they were acting like sheep without a shepherd. Everybody listen. You know why they were acting like sheep without a shepherd? because they were sheep without a shepherd. And the good shepherd doesn't start shooting the sheep because they're not acting right. Anybody besides me feel rebuked yet? When when Jesus saw these people who were in pain and who were not acting right and they were not believing right, his heart broke his heart broke. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. This is so big. Listen, this is such a powerful prayer. In the church planting world, this is the prayer that we pray all the time. At all of our meetings, we pray this. God, would you just send more laborers into the harvest? I had a phone call a couple of weeks ago with a friend of mine who's a pastor in Alabama who found out about what's going on, and out here in Kansas, and the planting that we're trying to have, church planting, the efforts that we're trying to make, and we're on the phone, and he said, uh, he's he's from Alabama, so he said, Brother Tim, that's how you know they're a (laughs) Baptist. Brother Tim. He said, Brother Tim, what can we do? How can we help? I said, Lance, all I know to tell you Would you just beg God with us to send laborers into the harvest? Because the fields are white. And the glory of the Lord is, is on deck. And his plan for seeing his glory flood the earth is the church of Jesus Christ. You feel that? Pray earnestly that God would send laborers, that the Lord of the harvest would send laborers into his harvest. Listen, this is so big. He invited us to share his burden. Have you ever thought to yourself, I know you have because I have too. We look at things and we say, God, I wish I cared about that more. Come on. I know I should care more about that, but I don't. Did you know that you can actually ask God to make you care more about things? And he'll actually do it. In fact, it has been said, I think rightly so, that growth in discipleship, as we grow as believers, part of what we're doing is aligning what we want and the way that we see the world with, the way that God, with what God wants and the way God sees the world. It's a great prayer for us to pray, to say, God, could you just make me see the world the way that you see the world? God, could you make me care about the things that you care about? So Jesus invited them. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. (coughs) I love this idea. Jesus' heart's broken with compassion, and he turns to the disciples and he says, You help me pray. That's verse 38 of Matthew 9, the very first verse of the next chapter. He called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. In verse 5, these 12 he sent out. Please hear this. Please hear this. This is so big. This is worth coming to church for. Jesus says, would you join me in having a broken heart and in prayerfully beseeching that the Lord of the harvest would send out workers into the harvest? Then he called them together, and he sent them out into the harvest. (laughs) Did you catch that? Well, you did, right? Here's a reminder, I didn't write scripture. You carried it in, in your pocket on the way in. It's in there. We just read it. God, would you send workers into the harvest? And God says, yes, I'm going to send you. God, would you send more laborers into the harvest? God says, sure, I can do that. Sometimes you're the answer to your own prayer. God's not going to have some, you know, magic lightning bolt zap and suddenly, you know, magical people show up. No, he's going to send us. That's his plan. It's for you and I to do it. So prayer number one was that God would give us ready hearers. Here's the second prayer. God, would you give us broken hearts? Now, could I say this to you? It takes a lot of courage to pray that prayer. And I'll tell you why. Because if you ask God to break your heart and you mean it, guess what he'll do? Because he actually wants your heart to be broken about the things that break his heart. It's what it means to be a follower what it means to be a disciple. God, would you give us broken hearts? In 2010, I was pastoring a church in Central Florida where we were from, we were born and raised, and uh, we found out about a new charity called Trash Mountain Project that had just started, started there in Central Florida. And they were going to Honduras and they were doing work. Okay, well, we didn't know anything about this, so come talk to us. And uh, the, the director of the, this project came to our staff meeting. Actually, it wasn't the church yet. It was just our staff meeting. We want to hear about this. And he said, well, in Honduras, people live in garbage. We said, but what does that mean? Like, are you making fun of their houses? No, it's actually garbage. They live in garbage dumps. It actually happens around the world. This garbage dump that we've seen... People go into it to pick, trying to find things they can sell, trying to find things they can eat, trying to find things they can recycle, they're doing whatever they can to earn a living. And we have heard stories that we know to be true of little girls who are forced by their parents to sell themselves to trash truck drivers. And our hearts broke. And we said, we don't need to hear anything else. What do we do about that? So we started raising money and building houses, which to you might look like a garden shed, but to them it's a house. It's not in the dump. And they can have windows and doors that they can lock. And so this little church in Central Florida would raise enough money to build two houses, and then we'd take a trip down and build them, buy all the building materials. And do you know that this year, Ridgepoint Church once again went to Honduras and built two houses. I've been long gone from there. It's not about me. You know why? Because our hearts broke. And when your heart's broken, you won't rest until the issue is addressed. T.D. Jakes famously said Our misery is our ministry. The things that we care about most are the things that God's put something inside of us that we're supposed to fix. So how about we start with asking God to break our hearts for those around us? If, like me, you're sitting here and thinking, I should do better at this, why don't you just start with this prayer? God, break my heart. Give us broken hearts. Two observations very quickly. Number one, seeing others through God's eyes reveals their brokenness. That's not an insult Again, go back to the three circles. We're all living in brokenness. It's a world of brokenness. And when we see through God's eyes, we see their brokenness. Number two, sympathy produces guilt, but a broken heart produces action. Sympathy is just when you feel sorry for someone. Sympathy doesn't produce action. Listen. And so its byproduct is guilt. I should do something about that. Right, you probably should, but if you don't, then you feel guilty later. If instead God breaks our heart, then we take action. The bravest prayer that we can pray is to say, God, help me care more about that. God, help me see that the way that you see it. God, would you just break my heart? Would you open my eyes and break my heart to what's going on around me? I told, uh, I was talking to Randy Bond before the service I told him, guys, can you go ahead and put this slide up? So we're going to have a training. In just a few weeks, we're going to have a training where we're going to talk through the three circles. It's going to be just a two-hour training. We're going to unpack very quickly. How do you use this tool? And then we're going to practice, like how do we, let's practice by talking to each other. Let's make it maybe not so weird. If we can, if I can, if I've already had a conversation with it before, then the next one becomes easier and the next one becomes easier. I was having a conversation this week uh, with Pastor Blaine, who pastors Seaman Community Church, which some of you, depending on how you came into this neighborhood, you might have driven right by it, Seaman Community Church. He is a fantastic guy, incredible guy, and we just grab lunch sometimes. And I asked him, because we wanted to plan this evangelism training, I said, hey, uh, we, we haven't made for sure that Heritage is going to be available for us. I like to remind people we're homeless as a church. Did you know you attend a homeless church? I mean, Jesus was homeless, so I guess it's okay. Uh, it can be a little bit inconvenient at times, though, for sure. So I said, hey, if we can't have it at Heritage, could we have this training at your building he said man that would be great we would love to have it he said could we come (laughs) i said well first of all it's your building (laughs) second of all if churches can't unite around getting better at sharing the gospel what are we doing with our lives i don't know how to make it more practical than that right what does it mean for us to take action what does it mean for us to learn how but listen Understanding how to use the three circles isn't going to move you to speak up. You know what will? A broken heart. You got to have a broken heart. Back when we lived in Florida, we were pastor. I was pastoring there. Our boys obviously were much smaller and we uh the house that we lived in had a pool as a lot of houses in florida do and uh so i remember one sunday afternoon i was on the back patio it was kind of screened in there was a pool and i was i remember i was talking on the phone i don't know who i was talking to but i was talking to someone about something you know ministry related church related and one of the things i do when i'm talking is i walk i don't know why i've just always been this way so i'm on the back deck you know walking and talking and our oldest son, Noah, was a little guy at the time. And he came out. We kind of had the French doors open. And I was talking, and I heard a splash behind me. And I turned around and looked, and Noah had fallen into the pool. I mean, upside down, legs in the air. And I thought, that's weird. <laughs> anyway, so as I was saying... Is that what I did? Come on. No. I threw the phone, maybe in the pool, I don't remember. Because also, who cares? Now, he actually wound up being fine. He just swam to the edge and got out because he had had lessons. But I don't care. I'm doing whatever it takes with the utmost urgency to go after him. Do we care that much? Could I just remind you that it's not just physical death that's at stake here. It's actually spiritual death. It's eternal separation from God. Do we have a sense of urgency? Should we? What if Capital City Church could make it harder for people to go to hell from Topeka? I love this story. I'm going to end with this. I love this story. So, years ago, there, there's a guy named Dave Reaver. I don't know if you remember this. This was big in the 80s. He was like a traveling evangelist type guy. And he would make all kinds of swings down through the south. He has a really interesting story because he had gone; he was going to be a pastor, and they sent him to Vietnam, and a grenade blew up, like right in his face. And it, they thought he was going to die, but he lived. And so he has this incredible story about how God used him. Well, part of the story is that while he was in Vietnam, before this accident happens, there are these uh, two guys that he was serving with that were always making fun of him, making fun of his faith, making fun of his lifestyle. And so he jokingly referred to them as perverts number one and pervert number two. I'm telling you, it's a hilarious story. So I remember this from the 80s. I mean, I was a kid when I heard this and I still remember. He tells the story of how years later he had come back, he had lived, right, and he never talked to them again. And he lived and he's traveling the country, right? And he's, he gives a, an invitation at one of his crusades and they were in, I don't know where they were, but they were in a place where there was a sloping floor, and he didn't know it, but this guy that he had called pervert number one was sitting in the back of the audience listening to everything. He remembered him. And after Dave had left, uh, this guy wound up losing his leg in Vietnam, and he had an artificial leg. And so he tells this story, and I'll never forget this story. He said, I, gave, I give the invitation, and little did I know that he was in the back and he decided to walk to the front because he wanted to give his life to Jesus Christ. And he had an artificial leg and that floor was sloping and he ended up running and he couldn't stop. And that was the day that pervert number one gave his life to Jesus Christ. (laughs) Isn't that a great story? You know what I always focus on? What if God could cause people to run towards Jesus and not be able to stop? God, may it so happen in front of us. May God give us the opportunity to see it. We're going to pray this prayer very quickly. Habakkuk 2. This is the promise that one day the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. That's going to happen when every man, woman, and child has ready access to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what it looks like for the glory of the Lord to cover the earth. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for this great work you call us to. I think the most effective thing that you do for us, God, to make us into eager multipliers is you just cause us to experience you. We know how wonderful it is to follow Jesus Christ. It's not easy, but man, is it wonderful. We find ourselves being able to recover and return to your original design for us. And it's so wonderful. Most importantly, we just love to see your glory. We love to see you get glory. We want to see your glory expand. We want to see your kingdom expand. We want to see people come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ so that they can live lives not only that honor you, but they can also see how wonderful and beautiful and satisfying it is to be a follower of Jesus. Higher than that, bigger than that, foremost. We want to see every man, woman, and child have ready access to the gospel of Jesus Christ so that we may see your glory cover the earth even as the waters cover the sea. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the cross. We pray that we would live lives today that glorify you and that you would give us the opportunity to not only see your glory expand, but to be a part of it expanding
3: in Jesus' name that we pray.